Well, let's take our Bibles, and I want to read to you a couple of passages. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1 here in just a few moments, or Luke chapter 2, excuse me. But um, I really, the, the message really comes from the book of Philippians as we look at the missing gift of peace. We're in a series of messages on the missing gifts of Christmas. We're going to talk about peace. Listen to these verses in Luke. And suddenly there was the angel of a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, of all the the things that we can think about the gifts of Christmas, probably the thing that's on more Christmas cards and more devotionals and maybe more sermons than any other other thing about Christmas is peace. Now, when I think about Christmas, because of my um, um, religious church type um, affiliation, I think about the forgiveness of sin. I think about the presence of God. We've already preached on those or taught on those missing gifts. But the world sometimes just thinks about peace. I mean, after all, peace on earth. The problem with that is where is the peace? In the last 3,500 years of history, there's only been 200, let me get this right, 286 years of world peace. Not only that, but Luke chapter 12, in the same book, by the way, that I just read, where uh, Dr. Luke wrote this, Here's what he said that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Do you think Jesus said, I've come to bring you peace on earth? No. I tell you, rather division. Now, what Jesus meant by that division was the fact that when you profess Jesus Christ, uh, certainly in the New Testament times, for example, the ones he wrote to originally, there was a separation there. I mean, you were from the Jewish faith. Now you're from the Christian faith. It divided even families in their faith. And even today, you know, if you come up to your friends and say, wow, you know, I found the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. Man, I was down in the dumps. I was here. I was there. And, and I heard this great message about Jesus. And they're going to look at you like, what? What? I mean, it happened to me. Maybe it happened to you back in, when I was in high school. And so there's some division here. So what's he saying here? What he's saying is, is this. When he came the first time, It wasn't a political peace that he was bringing. You see, we need to understand that peace, like forgiveness, is really three-dimensional. It is downward to us from God. There needs to be a peace with God. There's an inner tranquility peace, and then there's an outward peace to others, and it has to come really in that order. As we look at the book of Philippians, we find that this, the key word to this book, by the way, is not peace, it's joy. And in these four chapters, he's writing this church, uh, this church Philipp- at Philippi, and you can read about this, by the way, in his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 16. But as he's writing from prison to the church at Philippi, he says, look, there's four things that can steal your joy. He says, in chapter one, he says, problems will steal your joy. Chapter two, people will steal your joy. Do I have an amen? Sure. And... Number three, possessions will steal your joy. And finally, in chapter four, he says, the lack of peace in your heart is going to steal your joy. And so as we open up this passage, he's really talking, as far as peace in the world, he's talking about two things, the peace with God that we have upwardly or downwardly with God, and the inner peace that we have an opportunity to have every day of our life. 
That's what he brought. Now, the second time he comes, he's going to bring the political peace, the world peace that, uh, you, that you hear about in all the, the beauty pageants, you know, the world peace that he's going to bring. That's at the second coming. But the first coming, we want to ask these three questions in this passage. Number one, why do we need it? Why do we need the peace with God and the peace of God? Number two, what is it? And finally, number three, how do you find it? First of all, why do we need it? Chapter four, beginning with verse four, it says this. Paul said in his writings, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now this word rejoice is joy. He says, I want you to have joy. And again, I want you to have joy. That's what he's saying. Let your reasonableness, your calmness, your peacefulness, he's talking here, be known to everyone, the Lord's at hand. So God's involved in this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now this word anxious comes from the same uh, idea as Matthew chapter six, where Jesus taught teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't be anxious for your life, what you shall put on, what you shall eat, what you shall wear. Don't be anxious about how tall you are. You can't add one inch to your height. He's talking about the same type of anxiety. He ends up, of course, saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are going to be added to you. Same word, though, when he's talking about anxiety, worry, stress, comes from a word to mean harassing of the mind. It's a mind that's torn in half, torn to pieces, caused by worry and fret and stress and really fear of the future. That's what really worry is anyway and stress is. Uh, the bad kind of stress anyway. It's worried about, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me in the future. And it's basically caused somehow, some way by a separation from God. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord in the book of Genesis, what happened? They hid themselves. They were afraid of God. They were afraid, hey, we're going to lose our home. What's going to happen now? You know, what are we going to clothe ourselves with? What are we going to eat you know, if he kicks us out of the garden, what's going to happen to us? There was a great fear that came about them with looking toward the future and wondering what in the world is going to happen. Worry and fear is really the opposite of faith. Now, I know that when we talk about certain things in America today, certain words are okay, certain words are not. For example, if you're going through stress, everybody, if I, if I were to say to you right now, how many of you besides me are going through stress, what would you say? All right, there's several brave people among you, but if you thought I wasn't going to call you up front, every single one of you would raise your hand, right? But if I said, how many of you are worried about something? You know, not, not me, I'm not worried. I'm, how about afraid? You're afraid of something? No, not me, man. I, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, let me, test, let me test you just a minute on worry and fear of the future. Here are some symptoms, according to psychologists, on being worried. Number one, forgetfulness. Of course, that can be caused by a lot of things, you know. The problem, see, when you get older, the problem in remembering things is not that your mind's going, it's just that you have so much information. You know, it's just kind of hard to file it on time. Number two, unable to concentrate. Number three, irritability. Number four, indecisiveness. Then there's procrastination and a general dissatisfaction with life. As a matter of fact, you begin to kind of hurt others a little bit because you want to criticize everything else. You're so kind of in, the, in a little bit of a misery yourself and worried about things and so fearful of things, you begin to become critical of everything. 
Now, you talk, I've talked to a lot of critical people in the past, and you get down to it, they have deep prompt, they have problems they're worried about. And it will come out if they open up to you. There's a lot of things going on. And so what about you? All of us wonder about the future, and it's caused by a separation about, about, with God, either spiritually or even mentally and emotionally away from God because we don't know what God's thinking. So what do we do? Well, the Bible says in Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, that is joined together with God again, we shall be saved by his life. Now, the only reason I read that passage is because it says, hey, we're enemies of God. If we're separated from God by sin and for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and we're, we're separate, the wages of sin is death, if we're separated, the Bible teaches us that we're enemies with God and now we need to have a peace with God. That's where it begins, the upward peace with God. Do we have that upward peace? I was um, going through my old hometown of Athens, Georgia, not too long ago. Man, the whole place has really changed. I got a little perimeter going around it and it's been years since I've lived there. Sometimes I get lost trying to find things because the roads have changed so much. But I went down Broadway, Broad Street, and um, as I was going down that street, I, I noticed my, my, one of my old stomping grounds was still there because when Arby's first opened in Athens, I never even heard of the place before then, I, I just sort of got uh, kind of hooked on those roast beef sandwiches for a while, and that's kind of what happened. But... Uh, <laughs> I was there, I even got to know some of the people behind the counter just sort of by name and we talked a little bit and um, I just dropped by there, that, that'd be my dinner. I'd just get a sandwich on my way to work. And, um, and so uh, one guy by the name of John just quit, I guess, or he went somewhere else, I didn't really notice so much. But he showed up and I hadn't seen him probably in a year. He shows up, I'm eating my, my, my uh, dinner and he just sits down at my table. Well, I recognize him. I said, John, well, I haven't seen you in like forever. You're not working here anymore, are you? He says, no. He says, I started my own business. I started my own cleaning business. I've got these trucks and he's got all this stuff going on and uh, clean carpets and he cleans this, cleans that. He says, got my own business, my own crews. He was, guy's 21 years old. And I said, wow, that's really impressive. And so I thought, wow, what an opportunity. What a God-appointed opportunity to share Christ with someone. And so I just started uh, asking him about his spiritual life, talking to him about the Lord, and he began just to open up. And he said, you know, Dwayne, I felt like even a year ago, if I could just get all this done and start my own business, start this and do this and do this and able to buy that, I would really be satisfied with life. He said, but I'm not satisfied at all. I'm not even better off, any better off than I was a year ago. In fact, I have even less hope and less peace. I just don't have any peace in my life and I don't understand why. All of us want that. We yearn for that kind of peace, that inner tranquility that says somehow we're safe. And so when we talk about peace, what is it? Well, look with me in verse six again. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, that means specific prayer, with thanksgiving and your request be made known to God and the peace of God, here it is, which surpasses all understanding. And so this kind of peace, you can't understand it. Even when you get it, 
You think to yourself, wow, I didn't know this was possible. With all the other stuff going on in my life, I've got something I don't even understand. And he says, we'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now this word, this word guard is a military term. And it, the idea is, if, say if you were living in a, a little house out in the middle of nowhere, in, in enemy territory, or even a tent. You're, you're camped out there in a tent, you were like a nomad, and you were in enemy territory, and you didn't know when the enemy was gonna come, the terrorists or whatever was gonna come at any time. And then you open up your tent one, uh, one evening, and you look outside and there's a whole army, a, a whole entire army around your tent guarding your tent. And you think, wow, I, I feel safe. That's the inner peace, the peace of God that he's talking about. It has to do with inner tranquility, faith in God, faith in the future, and security in the Lord. But it's more than just an absence of conflict. Notice it says in verse, up, uh, in verse five, once again, the Lord is at hand. There's a reason why he put that in there. And the reason was, he says, look, it's more than just a lack of conflict. Now, you think about it to yourself. You go home this afternoon, no conflict. Now, that's a dream. You, know, you go to work, no conflict. You, you think, you turn on television, and everybody's at peace. The problem is, there's still fear there. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The future is unknown to you. It's unknown to me. There's no way to have peace with just simply the absence of conflict. It has to be the presence of God. That's the reason, remember what we said, the greatest gift is the presence of God. He announced, the angel announced to Joseph, his name shall be called Emmanuel, that's title, which means God with us. The Bible says in John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and explained God to us. The very presence of God is, the, is really the message of Christmas. And so we look at this and we understand that really what peace is, there was a high school, story goes, where they were challenged, the art class was challenged by painting a picture of peace. And most of the paintings came out, man, it was beautiful, beautiful garden, flower garden. There was a, there was a sunset over the ocean, all kinds of beautiful, peaceful pictures. But the one who won the prize, the picture Everything around in the middle, except for the middle, everything around was chaos, conflict, chaos, war, fighting. In the middle of it was a beautiful flower. He said, that's peace. That's peace. When you feel that kind of security and inner tranquility, even in the midst of the storms of life. And so, how do we get it? We need to understand we have to have the peace with God before we have the peace of God. So there's two things. Number one, peace with God. It says, first, the peace of God will guard your hearts. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Then he goes on to be explaining this. And the verse and the end of it, he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now, what is peace with God? Peace with God is best explained probably in Romans 5.1. When Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome, the most important church probably uh, in the world at that time because of the city that it was in, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is salvation. 
That's what it is. It's a one, it's, it's a point in time event. It's not that, okay, I, I, I got to get this peace with God, this inner tranquility, because it's not inner tranquility. I got to get this peace with God one step at a time. No, it, it's just all together. In fact, Romans, the book of Romans kind of pictures this justification is like if you were, if I could just give, have a little, little bit of liberty here, like a courtroom. And here you are, or here I am, we'll say, on trial for the, sin in, the sins that I've committed in, in heaven, or at least I'm on trial in heaven. And so Jesus is my lawyer. The Bible says in 1 John 2, he's our advocate, our lawyer. On the other hand, the Bible says in Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And so here's the prosecutor, Satan, and he's going over and over and over again, all the things that have gone wrong in my life, all the choices, bad choices that I have made, and because God the Father is just, talking about justice, justice means somebody has to pay for the crime. That's the heart of justice. You can't even have a universe, much less a peaceful world without justice. And so the father looks at me and says, are you guilty? I'm guilty. The Bible says in eternity, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We are going to know exactly who we were and what we were. Well, I'll have to admit, yes, Lord, I just plead the mercy of the court. And Satan is just gleeful. But my advocate stands up and he says, I will pay for Dwayne Mercer's sins by dying on a cross. He turns to the prosecutor. How does this sit with you? He says, your honor, I think that would be wonderful. I mean, that's the one he wants. He doesn't want me. Not really. I'm just some little peon. He wants the Savior. He wants the, the Son of God. And he turned it. 2,000 years ago, he hung there on a cross, and his blood was shed for me on that cross. And in one point, one time event, when I was 16 years old, I received Jesus into my life. And at that moment, at that moment, at that very millisecond, God in heaven declared me not guilty. Not because of anything I've done. He didn't make me better. That's regeneration. That's another part of salvation. In this justification, he just simply, this peace with God, no more enemy with God. Jesus Christ is paid on the cross for your sin. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. You are declared not guilty by God. That's what happened to you the very moment that you received Christ. And that is how you receive the peace with God. But there's something else, because you, you and I both know that not every believer is experiencing peace in their life. That's why Paul comes back and says, there's something that applies the peace with God, and it's called the peace of God. And he says, there's three things that you need to do in this passage. In fact, in Colossians 3, he says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. How is that going to happen? Three things. Number one, it has to do with what you believe. It's beliefs. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, let there be a worthy of praise. Think on these things. This word think has to do with pouring it into your mind, to drill it down, to ponder it deeply. 
What you believe will determine your behavior. Now, I know in our, in our society today and all across the world, we have a thing where there's no absolute truth, so therefore we ought to be tolerant of anyone and everything and everything that's going on in the world and every sin that's going on. Oliver Wendell Holmes was criticized at one time because of um, things that he wrote because he was really taking this really to the nth degree, to its conclusion. The whole idea of tolerance to its conclusion. Now, whether he believed that or not, I really don't know. I think he did. But he basically said in his, his writings, he said, in the way the world is, there is no right or wrong. Therefore, there's no creator. Uh, therefore, there's no uh, accountability. And because of that, life has no meaning. He went on to say that to put any meaning in or, or to think about it, Oh, you know, I live my whole life, I give this, I do this, I serve here, I raise this person or that, or that child. It really makes no difference because a hundred years from now, we're all just going to be dead, dust. It makes no difference at all. And um, he added, to think about those kind of things is just morbid. So the best thing to do to have peace is just not think about things. Well, he's really following things to its conclusion. Because while you and I have everyday questions, well, how am I going to, you know, am I going to be able to get a job? Am I going to, you know, did I make my best friend mad at me? And, and therefore, you know, are they going to continue to be my best friend? Yeah, you know, important questions like, what about, where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do? Those kind of, but the big four questions that only can be found in God are the most important questions and they, they are asked by every single person that's ever lived. Who am I? Where did I come from? Some of you watch the television show, uh, This Is Us. And on there, there's a, a young man that's been adopted. And he spent his whole life trying to hunt his, adopt, his real parents, his birth parents. His, all of us want that, don't we? There's a searching of our heart to see who we belong to, what we belong to spiritually. Thirdly, why am I here? Lastly, where am I going? The Bible tells us over and over and over again the truth. He says, whatever is true, the truth is in, found in the Word of God. How do we find this peace of God with, with all the, the junk going on in our life? Well, listen, if we start believing what the Bible teaches, and that's the question, do we believe? Do you believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Do you believe he's, when he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? Do you believe that all things work together for the good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? Do you believe verse 9 where it says, hey, look, if you do these things that I'm sharing with you, the peace, the God of peace will be with you in your presence and you'll be in his presence as well. Do you believe that he's all-powerful? Do you believe that he's all-loving? Do you believe he's full of grace and truth? Do you believe that he died on the cross and once and for all nailed your sins to the cross? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day to conquer death and give you life and to give you peace and to give you hope in life? Do you believe 
But he said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, I will receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe that he's coming again? Do you believe those things? Dear friends, that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. The beliefs, get it in your heart. Think on, ponder these things. Get them deep, deep, deep within your heart. Then you're gonna know that that army of God is surrounding you to give you that kind of security. His character, his power, his sovereign control will get you where you need to go. Beliefs, but then also there's gratitude. It says, in, in fact, it says this twice. You know, when I, I, just a few years ago, I, I preached an entire message on Thanksgiving. And I've probably only done that one or two times in my entire life, and I never got it. Boy, since I, I preached that message, everywhere, everywhere I go in Scripture, I see the same thing. Gratitude. And how important it is. Look in verse 6. He says, with thanksgiving. He says in verse 8, is anything worthy of praise? Think on these things. It's tough, you say. Pastor, I can believe everything God said, but you, God's saying, but you don't know the disappointments I've been through in life. And you're probably right, I don't know. I've had my own. You don't know what I've been through either. But I've had my own, you've had yours, and yours prob mine probably pales in comparison to yours. What you've lost. Some of you are experiencing a Christmas this year for the first time without a, love, a certain loved one. How do you get by that? You say, well, they've been with us 60 years, 70 years, and now they're gone. Well, how do we feel that hole, fill that hole? And that's what you concentrate on, the loss. What about the 60 years they were there every Christmas? There's a sense of gratitude there. What has Jesus Christ done for you? Well, he died on the cross. That's something, right? Do I have an amen? He rose again on the third day. He ascended up into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father right now ever to pray for us all the time. He sent his Holy Spirit down to live inside of our heart to give us peace and hope and the fruit of the Spirit in our life and to guide our life to all truth. And look at all the things that he's done for us over and over and over and over again. Gratitude. We've said before that faith stands before. Os Guinness has said, faith stands between the no longer and the not yet. How do you believe the not yet? How do you trust God for the future? You look not at what you think God held back from you, but what he gave you. You see, when I go back and look at the past and say, God, you should have done this, maybe you should have done that. What I'm saying is, God, I know better than you. I had my life mapped out for, for, for you, and you didn't follow my, my lead. You just didn't do what I, you know, I don't know what you were thinking. I'm saying that I know more than God would know. But I'm saying, God, thank you for, for doing, what you, doing what you did. God, I can even see things in my life right now that are positive because of what you didn't do, that I want you to do, or what you did in my life. I can see those positive things. Paul was sitting in a prison for preaching the gospel. He wasn't on drugs. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't steal anything. 
He was doing what God wanted him to do, and he's thrown into a Roman prison. So that's not fair. Well, because of that, we have the book of Ephesians. We have the book of Philippians. We have the book of Colossians. We have many of the writings of the Apostle Paul writing to these churches, a permanent record of doctrine and how, what was going on in that day because God parked him in a prison. Gratitude. Are we grateful? Faith between the no longer and the not yet. Finally, one last word, affection. He says whatever things are lovely, loving, lovely. We see all throughout this passage that really Paul overarching thing is that Christ must be first in our life, ahead of our problems, ahead of people, ahead of our possessions in order to have the peace. Who's first? Who's sitting on the throne of our life? You see, if something else is sitting on the throne, I'm going to be really disappointed in life. Now, I want to ask you something, sincerely. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. But being honest with yourself, how many of you just don't like change? You just don't. You know, church makes a change, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm just all up in arms. You know, something happens at your house. You, you don't even like want to move. You don't like change. Then why in the world do we constantly put things on the throne of our life that change? What's the most important thing in your life? Somebody says, well, I got to admit, it's my kids. Do you know your kids change? Do you know that? They grow up, right? They actually have the audacity to make their own decisions. They go off to college. They change. Well, my grandkids then are on the throne. of my, You know, they're going to change as well. And you're not going to have nearly as much to do with what changes their life. Well, my job's on the throne of my life. Sooner or later, you will retire, you will get laid off, or you'll quit the job, go to something else. Something will happen. The job will change. Well, it's my husband, it's my wife. Hey, listen, the older you get, you change. There's nothing on this earth that doesn't change. The only one that can be on the throne of our life that can give us the kind of security that we need to put first in our life is God himself. Because the Bible, Jesus said, I am the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And you can trust me. You can trust me. You know, one of the uh, most inspirational stories that I can recall that I can't live up to, I'm sure, is a story of one of my favorite hymns, maybe really my favorite hymn, called It Is Well With My Soul. It's a story of Horatio Spafford, who wrote the hymn. And the story goes, this happened 150, 200 years ago, when his wife and four daughters left New York to go on a, a ship cruise all the way over to Europe. During the course of um, the trip, the ship in a storm went down. Most everyone on the ship died, but his wife was picked up by another boat, taken to a hospital in Europe, and survived. This months had gone by. 
And she wrote a telegram to ratio her husband, two words, safe, alone. He got on the ship to go get her. He told the captain, he says, when we come to the place, he asked him rather, we come to the place where that ship went down, which is a watery grave for his daughters. He said, would you just show me where, where it was? Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, he showed him. He saw the water and the waves roll. And he wrote the lines to this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know. I don't know how I would have responded. But here was a man who believed right, stayed close to the Lord in his beliefs, was grateful, and put God certainly on the throne of his life. And it made a difference. Hey, listen, here's the promise. He says in verse 9, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace with God happens one time. All of a sudden, boom, a point in time. The peace of God is fought for every day. But you need to be prepared, and those three things will prepare the way. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.